Hi, I'm Dr. Hannah Stoles, Director of the Wheaton Center for Faith and Innovation in partnership with Resource Global. This is the Integrate podcast about the integration of faith and work. And I'm here today with our guest, Tracy Thomas. Tracy is the Senior Vice President of Advancement for Biblica, where she oversees global fundraising and marketing programs. She came to Biblica in 2016 with a passion to see ministry fundraising revolutionized for the changing giving environment. Tracy brings over 20 years of nonprofit fundraising and marketing experience, having worked for organizations large and small with local, national, and international reach. Tracy leverages a wide array of experience of working with generous families, building fundraising programs, and implementing innovative marketing solutions. Tracy previously held positions with the Latin School of Chicago, the Nature Conservancy, and Bright Hope. She's married to Toji, and they have three children. Soria, Zach, and Caleb, and they live in Jacksonville, Florida. Tracy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Hannah. It's wonderful to be here with you today. And it's so great to um, work with another woman who is a leader, who's transforming the world and the environment that she's in. I'm really excited for our conversation today. Me too. Me too. I always get excited about another Sister following Jesus. Amen. So let's jump in. I'd love to hear about your story. How did you, you know, land where you are today and fundraising and marketing? What was your what was your journey like? Yeah, so I went to college because I really wanted to do news. I was intrigued with journalism. And so I wanted to do the business of news. So I was studying a double major in both business and um, journalism, hoping to be a newspaper publisher circa the early 2000s. So the Lord definitely put me on a new path for a good reason. Um, But it was in that that pathway that one of my mentors said to me, what you're really great at is getting the story and going into relationship with people. And so for that reason, she threw a chronicle of philanthropy on my desk um, and said, why don't you look for a job in fundraising? I didn't even know that was a career. I didn't know it was possible to do such a thing. She said, you can marry both of these passions, especially then you can work for any mission, you know, you are hoping for. Um, So that landed me into Chicago where there was, of course, plenty of opportunities to serve in lots of great missional places. And um, as life went on, met my husband, then there was baby one, then baby two and three, a set of twins in there because I like to do everything super efficiently. (laughs) Um, (laughs) We, um, God just started to pull on my heart and say, I want you to start fundraising for my kingdom. And I had amazing experiences working with some of the wealthiest families in Chicago who are so extremely generous. Um, but had this moment one day after a significant success of a seven figure ask where I was sad and had to question, why am I sad about this? This was a great gift. Mm-hmm. It's going to make amazing impact on the world. And I got in a car and had to really process alone um, in the quietness of myself, what was getting at me. And it was, you're thinking about how the, these dollars could mobilize for my kingdom. It's time to go. So uh, began the journey, um, which took a couple years, by the way, to get from the, non, the, the nonprofit, you know, uh, non-ministry space over to the ministry space and um, landed in the last decade serving and seeing that word you said in my bio, I, it's always so jarring to hear it, but it's true. We need to revolutionize fundraising. I say, if the art institutes of the world can raise something, something, we should do 7x that. So um, it's fun to watch that play um, come into play into practice and um, see people get on fire for mission. Yeah, I love that. And it's so funny. I actually was a broadcast journalist in the army 
for a really oh, like wow. short period of time. So I can say we have like some overlapping passions here, you know, go, go broadcast yeah. journalism um, and pivoted into a whole different career path, clearly. Um, and yeah. I love how, you know, God puts people in our paths, you know, all throughout our life who help shape who we become. And, you know, I think for, for students, for people, you know, who are listening that are thinking through, you know, career and life transitions, you know, um, even our dreams can kind of play out in the, the skills God's given us, play out in lots of different spaces. I'd love to hear a little bit about your, your spiritual journey, about your faith background, and, uh, and, and a little bit maybe about how you've seen God's hand on different jobs and different, you know, I, I love that, you know fundraising for his kingdom and, you know, for, for missional purposes. So I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, sure. So it's funny that I'm in fundraising or anything to do with money or adjacent to wealth, to be honest with you, because money and my family and my family's history is a poisonous word, if you will. Mm -hmm. My family was bankrupt three times before I was Mm -hmm. 14, experienced the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. and then to the point where my mom went on, my parents split. I came then I was I was an only child in this fractured family at a young age. My mom cleaned houses because she didn't have she, she was a homemaker for such a long time. And then this life changing thing happened. And so money to us was something that never could be had and never was enough of. And I always felt less than in an environment in the nineties that wasn't much in, in, in the Midwest. So if we were talking about earlier, the town was not really friendly to single moms and daughters living there. And it was just an interesting environment and my relationship with money and therefore God was distorted. Um, mm-hmm. I also in that broken family situation had a cut, had a, a skewed view of what an Abba father would be. Um, when you would talk, when I would hear and read in scripture and knew, grew up in this Christian home, but with these traumatic events, you know, as a young ch- child in this broken home, what is a Godfather? What does an Abba father look like for me when my earthly mirror of a father is letting me down all the time? And so I ran from that a lot. I ran from that Abba because I didn't, because earthly dad would hurt me. And I know that it took me till my adult years, of course, to look back in hindsight's 2020 to see how my rebellion from the Lord was pretty congruent with when things with dad weren't so good either. Right. Um, So I get pretty passionate about the whole daddy issue thing, because I think, you know, scripture is so clear about both us being the daughter and having an Abba. Um, And then later when I became a wife about the bride, but that's topic for another day. So (laughs) it's just a really interesting thing. So I was double-minded Christian. You know, I um, was in a sorority in college and started Greek InterVarsity. Shout out to all my InterVarsity people out there and Greek IV people. But I would lead a Bible study and we'd go right to the bar afterward. Like I couldn't with our fake IDs. I mean, we weren't like ready, you know, there's, that's a taboo. We also don't have to talk about here, but it was not appropriate for me. You know, I was not 21 mm-hmm. yet. I was doing things I shouldn't. Um, and God just really had to get a hold of my heart. I had one foot in the world and one foot in the church for the longest mm-hmm. time because I couldn't, couldn't figure out who I wanted to serve. Um, I moved to the city as a young professional after college and um, same, it just kept eating me alive. And it was actually walking into a a church on a Sunday morning. I mean, every Sunday I'd go to the altar and weep and say, God, I'm so sorry. I did it again. I've 
stepped out of line with your will. And I, you know, did this, that, and the other, and I'm so ashamed. Um, and he would in that fatherly Alba way come in and just say, I'll take you back. But it wasn't until, um, this one day where he came in with that spirit of discipline that said, you know, everything about me and, and through a, through hands and feet at that church, I was actually crying in the bathroom. And this woman walked in and said, I see you crying here every Sunday. Um, cannot you tell me? And I just told her everything sitting on the floor of the bathroom of that church bathroom, <laughs> never made it to church service that day, but it was even better <laughs> in the bathroom. And, uh, we became lifelong friends and she really helped me see like, you got to pick, you know, you got to mm-hmm. pick. And so, and then in James, when it, she brought to me the James about looking at yourself in the mirror and walking away and, um, forgetting everything you see. So from that point forward, I decided to live under the Lordship of Christ, um, instead of just the adjacent ship of Christ when it was convenient for me. And, um, and it's been an awesome journey since then, of course, make mistakes, of course, when you hit some bumps along the way, but living with that practice of saying no to some things and, um, knowing who I am and who God made me to be under the, the Abba father that I had so desired an earthly dad and just didn't have. Um, but had one in heaven and just going into relationship with him. Wow. Thank you for sharing. I know, uh, you know, we all have our, our journeys along the way and, and God, um, you know, he, he puts people across their paths. Like I said earlier, sometimes it's in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, sometimes it's in other places in life. And I mean, gosh, aren't we grateful that somebody yeah. takes that moment to stop and say, Hey, are you all right? What's going on? You know, it's, it's so hugely important. Um, and I love to hear, you know, we, we know you're married and you have kids and you, um, you know, are, are, are running fundraising for public. Um, talk about like, what was it like transitioning? You know, there's no space in the world that isn't God's, but God called you out of one space and into another, you know, and you can, we can serve God in lots of different ways and spaces, but what was that? what was that journey like for you kind of shifting out of the, you know, the art Institute, like world of fundraising and into, you know, the biblicas and the the Christian spaces in terms of fundraising, what, what things did you journey with God? And what were the changes that you saw as you shifted worlds kind of? Yeah. Well, 10 years, I mean, the world's a different place than it was 10 years ago, but initially 10 years ago, I found myself into this kind of thrown from an environment where in fundraising in non-ministry spaces, it was predominantly female dominated. You, you have a lot of female professionals in my role across the board still today, probably, but particularly in some of the places I was working in Chicago. And when I moved into the ministry space, I found that I was on some, my initial donor meetings and they would say to me, so do you have kids? And I'd talk about my family with pride, you know, yeah, husband, three little kids. Well, where are your kids today? And my heart was like, skip to beat. Oh, and sometimes I started to get snarky and I apologize, Lord. Sometimes I do get a little snark in me and I would say, oh shoot, I forgot to take care of them before I left the house, you know? So it was just odd and how that would repeat itself, you know, um, mm. just the, just the lack of awareness among the C, lower C church, capital C church, whatever it would be in the space that the women, young moms have callings that they live out. And they may or may not be traditional, but um, let's welcome them, right? And let's welcome the situations and and let's trust the process that God speaks to couples. It wasn't me running in rebellion from my husband to go get a job. It was agreed upon, prayed over a decision that I would work as well because I had a calling on my life. Um, 
as well as he does. So, um, and it was all part of our big plan, God's big plan for our family. Um, so very early on, I had a mentor, as we said, those people that just change your life who said to me, God gives you your children for your calling, mm-hmm. not the other way around. And that really encouraged me. Like God has uniquely fit your children for your calling. And every, that was 10 years ago, I was said that. And now 10 years later, I'm in a much larger leadership position with much more at stake every day with way more flying miles from around the world. And there's been moments in a hotel on a tired, exhausted night where I really wish I was just in my own bed feeding my kids breakfast the next day that I have to say, like, I'm uniquely suited for this. They are uniquely suited for this. And, um, from, and that has to flow through me and in me and out of me, right? Because Mm -hmm. you want the confidence. I still have to often exude that confidence in some of these settings where people are like, well, have you ever considered slowing down? Well, what is, has anyone ever asked you that question? Should I, you know, it's just an odd space that, um, I have to wake up every single day and know I'm doing exactly what God called me to do and let other people can second guess it all they want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I love this when I, um, you know, before, you know, and a little bit of my journey, you know, I started out, um, out of high school, I actually enlisted in the army to pay for college. Um, I, I could probably say that my growing up experiences with money and wealth were also, you know, very blue collar ministry family. Um, and, you know, kind of figuring out, okay, how am I going to do this? And so I went into the army and I think when you're, you know, when you're a woman and you have a strong personality and you love to work hard, um, the world, I mean, in like a secular majority space really celebrates that. And so really early on in my army career, you know, I was leading and I was moving into cadet space. And I just remember a really um, just jarring moment where I realized I had so much more voice and not not necessarily respect and that I wasn't loved, but um, it was definitely looked to very differently in my military work than I was in my church. And it went through kind of a similar thing to you. I got, you know, married, had, you know, have two kids. And when we decided to take a step back for me to get my PhD, um, you know, I had people in my church that were like, well, what about your children? And I, you know, you're like, well, they're going to move with us. You know, just like you said, they're coming to <laughs> And my husband was totally on board, like super excited about it. Like, you know, it wasn't one of those, you know, I'm dragging everybody there. And um, right before I began my PhD program, I went to a women's Bible study, you know, where I'm going to land on this one. (laughs) And um, we walk into the room and it's, you know, the topic of the the study is Proverbs 31. And, you know, everybody in the room, like when you, when you say Proverbs 31 in a church setting, it feels like everybody like gets this like burden, <laughs> like, Oh, yes. you know, and then, and then the women in the room and just amazing women that I really love started talking about, Oh, well, you know, I always have the dishes done or I'm always doing this in my house. And, um, and something in me, you know, I'm, I'm prior army at this point, had an MBA, have like run operations for a global company. I'm getting ready to get my doctorate in business. I'm like, she has a family. She has a husband. She has kids. I get it. I get it. But she's in industry. So she's doing so much more, you know, and not, not that our, our I, I love what you said that, you know, our kids are called, you know, our kids are, are part of our calling, you know, they're, you know, and I, I think that sometimes when we look at Proverbs 31 in particular, then I'm going to ask you some questions about, you know, your experiences in navigating this. Um, what I love about this passage, and I just told you, I spent more than a decade in this, in this passage, it never gets boring to me. Um, 
her, we know at the end, her husband and her children, her praise, they praise her. And, but all throughout it, when they're describing her, she is in business. She is leading people. She is transforming products. She is moving things into the marketplace. And six times in 21 verses, she's doing it profitably. So she's kicking like market butt. (laughs) And her her family is praising her for it. So I want to talk about this. Let's talk about the weirdness of being leading women in the church, serving our husbands and families, but like also doing an awesome job in the things that God's called us to. All of the things that God's called us to. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, no, it's great. And I have so many ways I could, so many responses to say, but I'll just say, you just even saying that is like, uh, oh my goodness, she sees. Yeah. Yeah. Because it feels like so often I have to deflect. I deflect, I deflect, I deflect, which is a good way to maintain humility in the church for any human, male or female, right? Is just deflect praise. Let me hide behind the shadow of the cross. Like, that's a morning prayer for me. But at the same time, it's like, we don't allow ourselves, A, women outside of the church and leadership don't allow themselves to say, I'm actually doing this. And when they do, it's considered arrogance. Like, oh, I'm killing it today. She's slaying it. We don't acknowledge it. But that for me was one of the first, that, that last bit of Proverbs 31, you know, let, let her get praise at the city gate or something to that effect. Yeah. You probably know better than I was when I thought, wait, earthly praise is okay for women. You know, because yeah. all these years it's been like, shh, just do that in the quiet, do that quiet, that humble, quiet spirit, you know, um, was so hard. And so, you know, I can't be like, okay, of course I don't want a spirit. It's like, bring it on everybody. I'm so fantastic. That's not it either. And that's not a good heart posture for anybody, yeah. but you can, you can start to emulate it. Right. So I have other mm-hmm. women in the church or in my community or on my team be like, that was amazing. You made that happen by the unique gifts God gave you. Yes. We praise him for the success, but it's this, um, it's this constant challenge. We, um, there's a guy I work with who is, was a seasoned fundraiser. Now he's kind of on a different side of the ministry, but he always has this joke about fundraising and how, when fundraising is great and we're hitting all the targets, it's, Oh, praise the Lord fundraising. God is providing, you know, Yahweh is awesome. And then when it's not, it's like, what is Tracy's team doing? You know, it's like all of a sudden sudden God Mm -hmm. isn't good anymore. And I feel like it's the same for women right? It's like we have this, these double and triple standards to live up to as women leaders. And when we're hitting it all and we're doing it humbly and not really bumping in the way of anybody too much, it's okay. And then Mm -hmm. when in the normal world, when we are kind of bumping in a way and eyes, eyes start to raise, then there starts to be question marks and we get, we get questioned or darts thrown thrown our way probably talked about behind our back in ways that aren't intentionally malicious, but do hurt. Um, and you have to grow a pretty thick skin pretty fast. Yeah, it's so true. And I love that passage, you know, I mean, obviously I love all, all of the verses <laughs> in that passage, but when it, when it talks about her, the praise and the city gates, um, you know, and it's, it, you know, let, let the, let the town, let the city see the work that she's done. It actually says like, give her a share in her work, which the share means like, Give her ownership. She owns this, mm-hmm. which is, is countercultural in Proverbs because back then women didn't have ownership of land, of companies. And so it's literally saying like, she, she owned it, like praise her for it and make her the boss. So it's not giving her husband ownership of it, which would be that more like sub, 
submissive subordinate kind of way of looking at, you know, it's all to serve her husband that say, no, this is like, this is a joint venture here. She's a, she's an owner. And I I, I love that because it is a challenge sometimes. And I I think we see this in Proverbs, that kind of balance between um, mercy and valor. And Mm -hmm. how do you go out and just be really like mighty and excellent and awesome and own the things you do well, but then be really kind and be really compassionate. And it, it, I, I'll let you talk to this a bit, but I definitely have, you know, struggled a lot throughout my career in terms of like, you know, it seems like, especially in some church environments, when you really challenge something and it makes people uncomfortable, they can point to things in my past and be like, oh, well, she just, oh, that's, that's just Hannah. She doesn't really like men <laughs> or she has a problem with men. And I, you know, I like love my husband. I co-author with men. I have great, I'm like, okay. Um, or or on the other side, you know, when you have employees that get frustrated with you or aren't performing, there's sometimes where it's like, well, you're just too nice. You're too nice. You're too motherly to everybody. Or you're too, you can't be everybody's friend. Sometimes you need to come down harsh. And it's, it's really hard to find um, the balance, which in Proverbs 31, we see her like strengthening her arms, but we also see her caring for the poor and needy. And I think this is, it's, it's faster celebrated sometimes in men. And we have to navigate this really strategically as women. So what are your takes? I'm like, how do we, how do we st- strategically navigate this in a way that honors God and honors our families, but also honors the organizations that we get to serve? Yeah, for sure. So um, I think the quick navigation is definitely knowing. So the clothes and strength and dignity mm-hmm. used to be a double-edged sword for me, to be honest, yeah. because it felt like something kind of weaponized is a strong word Hannah but I'm going to use it it feels like that was sort of weaponized on me as a young child growing up in the church like yeah it's your clothes and strength and dignity and it wasn't until the last maybe year where I joined a cohort of women in the marketplace outside of ministry we were all so diabolically different in our morals and it was such a refreshing place because we all the same problems in our leadership we're all like c-suite level they didn't they were, they were like, oh, you're the judgy Christian. And I'm like, oh, you're the, you know, left, left person. This, And we just love each other and like text and get so much great advice. But we all have the same problem and it's the mercy and valor. But mm-hmm. in the context of the double, the double bind for women leadership, it's can you be competent and likable? And I re- hit mm-hmm. me recently that for women in minute, women in leadership, it's you can't be kind and competent at the same time. One has to sacrifice the other always. For us yeah. in my experience and what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. But then on top of all that, we flow in that we're clothed in strength and dignity. Like mm-hmm. literally when I wake up in the morning before my feet hit the floor, because I'm a daughter of the king, I get to clothe myself in strength and dignity. Mm-hmm. So it's outflowing of that strength and dignity that I can lead, that I'm able to say, God's going to protect my reputation today. And I'm going to choose to be competent and step into the situation and be decisive and make a very hard decision and let his words flow through me. And it's mine to do the work of leadership of Biblica and it's his to comfort his people. And he'll comfort this person who might be hurt by my words because they're true and they're hurtful. But clarity is kindness sometimes, as our friend Brene Brown would say. So I, um, I've had to just really learn that that clothing and strength and dignity, which only can come. So you say, how do you navigate? It only comes from that prayer closet, that really tight connection, staying close to the vine, <laughs> you know, all those things mm-hmm. that if I don't do that, if I start to miss that, miss out on my personal connection, being plugged into the vine, 
personal altar, name it what you will, quiet time, then I'm a mess. Then my outflow is of the, of the, um, what my, what my polar opposite worldly Tracy would be, which is my eternal search for status in this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. And then that eternal search for status will, will make that dragon lady come out, which people have said, some are, men are decisive or dragon women. Sorry, here I go. (laughs) But some of those comparisons, right? Dragon Mm -hmm. lady comes out instead of that clothed in strength and dignity, confidence and kindness and likability flow from me other when I start with him. Yeah. And I love this. This is such an important point that you made that it isn't, it's not just the church. It's the culture that we're in. It is the culture that we're in that treats um, women and categorizes women to behave and look like a certain way. And, Mm -hmm. um, and there's lots of different ways they can play out in different environments. And it's, it's one of the things that makes me so grateful for Proverbs 31 when it's read in its ancient context, because wisdom was always a warrior goddess. And we forget that sometimes like the warrior goddess. But when you look to Assyria, it was a warrior goddess of like fertility, war, (laughs) And stuff like all of those things mixed together, and Western culture just doesn't have a um, a visualization of a woman like that. We haven't been given one culturally, so I would love like what are some other role models that we could look to? And do you have role models or women that you've been like, I want to be like that? You know, like she's awesome, but you know, kind and amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do. I have a mishmash for sure, but I got to be really honest. Sometimes it fe- I have some that have been really great role models in navigating a certain type of um, boardroom, if you will. Mm-hmm. I have others that have been great in navigating the working mom balance. I've had others in navigating teenagers, you know, um, yeah. it, it's, it's here and there, but I, it's been really tough, especially the last two years, I'd say in like finding that holistic helper in all those things in the church. Again, like I found a great help outside of the church, but in the church, it's just been really, really tough. I believe God's raising up a whole group of people and we just haven't found each other yet. It's sort of like Mm -hmm. I've reserved a remnant of 300 priests. They're hidden in the, in the rock and they're going to come out soon. And I'm like, okay, Lord, bring them. But there's going to be a time in a moment where we'll have the right. And there's lots of sex, like different groups of women that meet around these things, but it's been really hard, Hannah, like to have, In my early 40s, a young mom, pastor, husband, corporate husband prior to that, leading ministry comrade. Yeah, it is hard. And it's hard to know who who's safe to open up to. And, who, you know, I mean, all of those things that are going through your mind when you're trying to think, like, how do I navigate all of this? I love this. Um, I would call him like the male Christian Brene Brown of vocational psychology. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thing, right? Brian Dick. Um, he does yeah. write a book called Redeeming Work. And, if, you know, I, I just love it because it, here's the one thing in it. Um, I'm not doing a book promo for Brian Dick, but his book is great. Um, he says this thing. He says, you know, we, 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 we probably aren't going to find one mentor or one person that can guide us through life. What you actually need is like a personal advisory board. And that's kind of what I heard you saying. Like you have to like build out people like this person, I would trust to speak into who I am as a mom. This person I trust in terms of career. This person I trust in terms of like interpretation of scripture, but being able to find one person that can like navigate alongside you as a woman, we just, we haven't, we, we don't have enough of an, like an accepted path that's been carved out, right. For leaders, C-suite, um, 
Christian women who are going to be in roles, you know, like you're in that can say, here's, here's ways of, of balancing all of this. And, um, I'd like to talk a little bit more on the, on the church front. Cause I do think it's, it's pretty awesome. You know, Solomon could have depicted wisdom any way he wanted. Wisdom could have been a priest, you know, like wisdom could have been like his dad, King David, like the best priest King ever. Um, you know, there's, there's just so many different people throughout history that wisdom could have been de- depicted as, and he depicts wis- wisdom as a woman who ha- has servants, who has a profitable business. She's got vineyards. She's even making wine. We won't get on like, you know, the wine industry, but <laughs> she's doing all kinds of things. She's doing it profitably. And it just seems like there's roadmaps out there. So what do we do? Like, what, how do we have these conversations in the church without getting labeled as, you know, just, yeah. oh, you're just a challenging woman. Or if you ask the question as a woman, you're rebellious. <laughs> I mean, a right. lot of it has to do with posture. But what, how have you done this? I mean, your husband's a pastor. You've navigated some of this together. Obviously, he supports strong women. Um, what would you tell women <laughs> in the church? Like, how do we find our yeah. voice? How do we do this? Well, well, yeah, exactly. So for me, I had to do two things. I had to sort of release the bitterness I had of things to the point of the Proverbs 31, how what connected us here today was just things that have been spoken over me in my formidable years around what I was, what I was meant to be biblically that I don't, I reject now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and part of that was to the, to the degree that I've always struggled. Weight has always been my thing. It's mm. always, it's just, I mean, what women wouldn't say that, but my whole adult life, it's always been, you know, 30 more pounds, just you lose 30 more pounds. And when I was, um, right before I met my husband, I went on this whole marathon, Chicago marathon training thing, lost a bunch of weight just cause I was running, having a blast. And I met my husband and we got engaged and had a spiritual leader in my life say, and that's why you found your husband because you finally took care of your body. Oh no. Yeah. So for me, and it was all, Nine. she's like, see the Proverbs 31 woman, God's brought you. Now you're a noble wife. You're ready to be a noble wife because you're physically fit and ready to be. Yeah. I was never that size again. I mean, who was from their wedding day? <laughs> but like, I went on to have three kids, have a stressful job, moved across the country three times. I mean, you name it, right? It's like, it's still like, yeah. the thing I battle with. Right. But I don't think it defines that I'm not a good wife anymore. Right. It took me the first five years of my marriage to think, but it's right there in scripture, like that she, yeah. you know, adorn, you know, all this stuff. So I would say I had to undo the past and everybody has something. I, yeah. I think every woman in the church has some impression that her church, no matter their culture, no matter their church ethos, or doctrine has put on them. It just full stop. Men do too, but in this case, mm-hmm. we're talking about women. And so um, undo that and get your freedom from the Lord. But then I also just have to accept the fact that God owns my reputation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that has been a hard thing to own because mm-hmm. just the fact that I'm going to own that he owns my reputation doesn't mean that the words spoken about me, or like you said, like Christian feminazi was used about me once. And I was like, hmm, you know, I really don't think that, I think that's kind of a strong word, a lot of strong words in one sense that I would never string together on anyone, but I care about my sisters in Christ. And so um, at the end of the day, I think the root of all that is people say things out of their own insecurities. Mm -hmm. And so if a man is saying that, then I would just, and I've been in situations where I said, tell me what makes you uncomfortable about what I just said. 
And typically, if the relationship is strong and built in trust, then they'll say it, it roots in some insecurity, something about their mother, something about their sister, something about a coworker that hurt their feelings that happened to be female. Um, so I just say, we have to be patient. We have to, yeah. we have to do things slower than a man can sometimes. And that's okay. Absolutely fine. It actually takes a little bit of the pressure off, I think. And right. We don't have yeah. to move as fast mm-hmm. in that way. But then when we do like, just know that God owns your reputation. If you're doing it out of love and kindness and all the things that, and competency all at the same yeah. time. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love that. And and God does own our reputation. Like it's a huge, it's a huge piece even in, in that passage that she does have praise. Um, yeah. A lot of praise and her husband's praise, right? So not only does he own like your reputation, he owns your husband's reputation too. Right. And it's, but it's a far cry. Like when I first started teaching on Proverbs 31 at Wheaton, um, I would regularly have one of my students when it was like early on was like, oh yeah, this is the checklist for the hot Christian housewife. And I'm like, oh what, what in this? You know, it doesn't yeah. even say that she's beautiful. It says beauty is fading. <laughs> yes. It only says right. that. Like it talks about, you know, her strength. It talks about her, her profit choices and her product choices and tasks and how hard she works. And I'm like, how, how, do, we, how do we arrive there? And um, I, but you're so right. Like if, if God owns our reputation, we're faithful to be excellent with what God's given us, which she definitely demonstrates in that passage. Um, and then to bestow mercy. And when people come up against their own insecurities and their own past, that's an opportunity to be strong and demonstrate mercy. It's just not as much fun as direct words are sometimes. You know, exactly. to be really, really direct. Um, so I think we can, right. we can probably agree that there's, there's things in Proverbs 31 we need to unlearn. And there's probably like lots of treasure in there when we go, we come at it from a different perspective. And so I think just as we, I, you know, we're kind of getting to the end of our time, but I, I, I'd just love to get some more insights just in terms of um, leading then. And, you know, having tasks for your employees and having hard conversations at work and how do you navigate um, the double bind, you know, not just at church, but in the workplace as well. Um, what have been your experience in that space over the years? Yeah, I think I've had to, it's a muscle, right? The double bind is a muscle knowing when I have to show up and bring my likability factor and sacrifice competency for that moment or bring my competency factor and sacrifice likability because it just is so true that it's so hard to bring both. Um, I think in leadership, they're both valued. I know beyond a shadow of a doubt, the reason I have the position I have and even had it at a young age for the role and scope was because I had both and both were seen in me, maybe with a little bit like come and go, like don't stop, wait, come, you know, but they were accepted. And so for me in leadership, it's and you also have to know which which roles it's okay to be which with, right? So if I'm mm-hmm. talking to a young professional, it's start with kindness, move into competency, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a one of my direct reports who I'm deep in all the weeds with, you know, sometimes it's just full-on vulnerability. Gosh, this is hard. What are we going to do to help each other out and hold each other's arms up today. Um, and competency might feel like the farthest thing from our minds because we all need coworkers like that. So it's discernment of what that looks like. Um, but as emerging leaders, emerging women who might be listening and thinking like, gosh, I deal with this every single day. I think it, it really is. It's just 
it's eating a lot of humble pie and knowing Mm -hmm. that we have to, we are good at relationship. And back to Proverbs 31, she did, I think the church helps us think about all she did, air quotes, but there's so many, the soft skills in there are heavier Mm -hmm. than the stuff she did. And we forget Mm -hmm. that. So like, Mm -hmm. we're never going to work our way into people's acceptance, right? But then that, but that soft skill, the fear of the Lord and the, yeah. the the strength and the dignity and the things you're clothing, you're, all those soft things that are nothing in her own power, just her re- acknowledgement of a, of a holy God and a willingness to do what he's called her to do, which is extravagant in that time, yeah. is is what we have to do as emerging leaders and know that sometimes it just takes a minute. But you know when God's going to release a relationship over here, you know, when God's going to release, um, you just feel it, release things that have been held, held against you in your role as a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I think, you know, at the end of the day, I'm grateful for your journey and how you've navigated it. And it's, it's beautiful to see. And I, um, so I, any, any last thoughts before we, we close anything that I didn't ask about that you're like, wow, um, this would be really good. Just for yeah, our sure. Here. <laughs> I just, I think I talk to a lot of my co- male colleagues about this stuff all the time. And I guess I just like tips if you're a man and you're like, gosh, how have I maybe inhibited or contributed to some of these challenges that my female sisters in Christ feel as they lead? And I think ask what, ask good questions. If you have a trusted relationship yeah. with another leader, if you're, or the men in your life that you work with, just express like, some of the things that kind of pull you down that put you in this double bind. Um, I think good conversations like that are really valuable. I had one a couple of weeks ago with someone who said, you know, um, Hey, we, he, I was accused of not being inclusive of women in the business. And he said, have mm-hmm. I ever done that to you? And I said, sure you have. <laughs> and it hurt him, but he said, let me know how I can get better. And I, went through to explain just such a different scenarios where he treated me differently than a male, uh, one of my male colleagues, all in just complete generosity and in relationship. But when brought to his attention that this, the questions he targets to me are always about my kids, mm. their extracurriculars and my husband. And we are in a work context versus my colleague. It's always about the strategy he's working on, how this has been implemented at our company, et cetera. It's like, you know, me in a work context, ask, ask me about work. Um, and he was just floored, you know, he's, of course I respect your work. Of course I think you're confident. So my encouragement is just to talk to, um, you know, to the men out there is ask the hard questions. It's, it's going to get better when people realize it happens and we just start to make small changes in each other and work towards mutual respect. Yeah, that is fantastic. And, and great advice for, for our male listeners. And it's always encouraging, you know, to have a male student that's like, you know, how can I think differently? Right. We're like, yes. This is, let's do this yeah. together. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. exactly. It, it, is, it is a beautiful thing. So I just want to say thank you again for taking the time to talk with me. And uh, I really appreciate your insights and, and the thoughtfulness that you have. So I'm excited to hear as you ruminate where you land on all of these, these things I, and places. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I might be back in touch to talk about mercy and valor. <laughs> yeah, my favorite. So how, how I do you do I think you can it? say that you say them in Hebrew quite well as well. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the, I like pronouncing the Hebrew words that you get that, right? The yeah. and are really fun. Yeah. 
<laughs> yes, exactly. I want to learn better how to do that. So yeah, thank you so much. So <laughs> wonderful. Thank you, Tracy.